Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got John Paul and Sadie once again taking your calls at 1850-333-103, texting and WhatsApping uh, 0862-103-103 and already getting texts and uh, WhatsApps into the programme, particularly with regard to the COVID-19 payment of €350 that we are going to be discussing on the programme today with a call that it needs to remain in place, it needs to be extended and there should be no talk at all of cutting the payment. That's where we're going to hear a call for today. But your thoughts uh, and comments were welcomed already. Uh, people are reacting to this story. Mary in Botterfield is saying, Patricia, quick question for you. How will the government monitor people going back to work but still claiming the COVID-19 payment? Because you know that this is going to happen, says Mary in Botterfield. And another texter was on to say, I've heard of some people who went back to work on Monday and they are still claiming their 300 50 euro a week payment. It is disgraceful. They are delaying cancelling the payment. I've been out of work with no money for seven weeks and I'm still waiting for my job seekers application to be approved so you can uh, sense that person's uh, frustration. I know the what was being said was anyone going back to work on Monday was they were to close their COVID-19 payment application as quickly as possible and I think my was it revenue.ie or mygov.ie because mygov.ie was the website they were to go on and they were to immediately go on and say that they are back to work how will it be monitored Mary well I mean as soon as they start paying tax revenue will realise that somebody is still claiming the payment or not and I know when we were discussing the amount of people that have claimed the COVID-19 payment and it's a huge huge uh, figure I mean over half a million people are getting the 350 euro and then there's another cohort of people are getting the 350 through a wage uh, subsidy it's nearly a million it's over a million people now are being paid by the state in some form or another but the Department of Social Protection actually came out and, and admitted that there was reports of at least 10% of all of the claims for the payment had been fraudulent it was the Social Protection Department whistleblower came out and said that and that was at the start when people started claiming it. This is people who were either at work and said that they chanced their arm and seek would they get the payment. There are people who hadn't been working and tried to claim the payment. I know 
know there was some applications came in from overseas people who weren't even living here uh, but had an address here and were trying to claim it as well so but they managed to work out who were the fraudulent ones so they will I mean if people think that they can get away with claiming the payment and going back to work they will get caught and if they get caught they will have to pay it back and then on that whole issue of the the fact that the figures that have come out showing a significant number of people in receipt of that €350 were actually paid less than €300 a week before that payment was introduced. So these are people who, when they were at work, they were earning less than 300 some earning way less than 300 and suddenly this COVID-19 payment was introduced. People lost their jobs and suddenly they were receiving €350 a week. Almost 600,000 people received that special payment. But when you break the figures down, over 200,000, it's at 38%, are better off unemployed than they were when they were working. The number uh, includes many people who were working part-time are people who were in the hospitality uh, sector. Uh, and it's on that particular issue that we uh, text. So there's no name on this. As Patricia, when I was teeing this up with Simon, this listener responded saying, regarding people earning more under the pandemic payments than they did before. Uh, isn't it sad that over 200,000 people, so many people around this country were earning so little? People may ask, what's the incentive for those people to go back to work? The answer is pay these people more. As anybody working a minimum wage never forgets for a second if it was legal for your employer to pay you less than they would. That's the problem in the, the United States is facing as well. We're lucky. Uh, we, in general, are a much more compassionate country and we do have higher supports in this country but they also ask the question of how we can get people back to work without thinking of the obvious answer the obvious answer is pay those people more enjoy your show Uh, thank you Um, but when you say pay them more you know um, absolutely the minimum wage is uh, 10 euro 10 which is generous now if you're on a minimum wage you don't think it's that generous but if you compare it to other countries it is slightly more generous than, uh, than other countries but the people who the, the 200,000 odd people who were better off, not none of them obviously were working full time because if they were working full time, they would have been earning more than 350 euro because on the minimum wage, they would be coming out with what, 400, 404 euro, isn't it? 10, 10 at, four, at a 40 hour a week, just rounding it off. So about 400 euro. Uh, what I think what this report is homing in on are the people who were, who were part-time, uh, people working in the hospitality industry. I mean, we heard of students who just had a Saturday job, who were in college, who came home at the weekend, had a Saturday job, maybe a couple of hours on Saturday, a couple of hours on Sunday, earning between 70 and 100 euro on the part-time job. Delighted to have it, delighted to have that money going back to college. It was helping out the, the families. And suddenly they went from 70, 100 euro to 350 euro. I think there's, there's certainly anomalies in the middle of the 600,000 people. And the people who lost their job, be it on a minimum wage or higher, absolutely deserved to get the 350 euro. And I think everybody thought it was the right uh, thing to do. But now there's so many questions going on about this particular payment. The payment was was due is due to run I think I think it's June the 8th is the figure now of the government are certainly saying that that is going to be uh, extended uh, but it can't go on indefinitely I mean Pascal Donoghue the Minister for Finance has been warning about that saying that while yes we will extend it he's saying we can't pay this uh, forever and obviously there's also them and this is already starting to this 
issues already starting to, to raise its head is the government are facing demands to increase the regular job seekers benefit up to the same level as the weekly COVID-19 unemployment rate if they decide to maintain that €350 say they decided that they would do it until the end of the year you would then have a situation where you would have two groups of people unemployed you'd have people who were unemployed prior to the current coronavirus crisis they're getting their job seekers benefit that's €203 a week and then you would have people on the other side who lost their jobs on foot of the COVID-19 and they would be on the pandemic unemployment rate of €350 you could straight away see there's going to be people saying in the interest of fairness they've got to make the same payment for everyone and you would want the people on the €203 a week wanting to go up to um, €350 and the general belief I think amongst all the ministers is that the €350 a week payment cannot continue indefinitely Uh, but there's no consensus as to how you're going to bring it to an end I think that seems to be the what do you use as the cut off and when do you decide we'll pay it up to this point and if hopefully you'll have gone back to your, your job but if you haven't gone back to your job you're then going to have to revert to the job seekers which is 203 and that will be certainly hard on uh, people and then there is the other issue that's been getting a lot of coverage this week and this is to do with women returning from maternity leave and when they're either now going back or they're due to go back and they've discovered that they're not eligible for the COVID-19 payment of 350 euro and it was because they weren't at work you had to be at work in order to get that payment in March uh, and of course they weren't at work they were on maternity leave, leave, leave. and I've seen the Social Protection Minister Regina Doherty now first of all she said it isn't in the remit of her department but she's accepted that it is wrong and that they're going to have to uh, fix it but of course there's an additional problem there in how does how does the government fix it because obviously legislation is going to be needed and we have a caretaker government at the moment we don't have a fully appointed Senate and that means no new legislation can be passed so the government are now examining other objects of how they can include people who've women who've come off maternity leave and how they can be included because their job isn't there uh, it's temporarily gone and they will be hopeful that when the pandemic is over and when we start to ease the lifting of restrictions that the job will return but in the meantime how do, how do these women get paid so that's something that certainly has to be looked at another issue that has to be looked at let's stay on the issue of, of payments to uh, people whose jobs are affected by COVID-19 are the thousands of seasonal workers in the tourist sector and these are a group of people who can't avail of the COVID-19 unemployment payment and there will be a lot of people in the West Cork area, East Cork area, a lot of people, listeners across the border in Kerry, a lot of the bigger tourist areas really going to be uh, affected by this. We have a very large seasonal tourism group of uh, workers Uh, and currently they can't claim it because they weren't working in February prior to when the pandemic took hold and that's the requirement under the rates for claiming the payment. However, officials in the Department of Tourism say there are records from previous years that could prove seasonal workers had employment and they're, they're reckoning that they could be used to justify letting them claim the payment. Now, straight away, the Department of Social Protection are less enthusiastic. They're saying it's impossible to try to prove somebody 
might be potentially employed uh, somewhere. So that needs to be sorted out. But at least it is being looked at and people are accepting that there are this group of uh, workers. And I know we spoke about them with regard to the Leaving Cert students. Many of those Leaving Cert students and the college students would have worked throughout the summer. They need to work throughout the summer to build up some little bit of a nest egg so that they to help pay them through college and they are certainly at a financial loss so it, it's it, it's good that it's been recognised and it is going to be looked at and uh, we'll wait and see what comes out of that so anybody who was panicking slightly about that not being able to ra- to earn money this summer uh, the government certainly are in discussions I'm not saying that they're definitely going to get a payment but they certainly are in uh, discussions on it and another uh, p- piece that's getting quite a lot of commentary in the paper today and one that I certainly think is a good news story and this is where we as members of the public will be asked to provide a blood sample from next month for a test that will be able to tell people if they've had the coronavirus or not. It's a screening for an antibody which people who've recovered from the virus build up and it's to be carried out randomly around the country to give the first indication of what is the rate of the infection in the population. Although, you know, we speak daily about the confirmed cases, which is now running at over 24,000 people. The real figure of those that have been infected is likely to run into hundreds of thousands. Scientists are already saying that they reckon 6% of the population may already have had the virus so far. Uh, Antibodies may provide immunity obviously then from reinfection although the extent and the duration of that is still unclear scientists are still working on that but other countries have used these antibody tests to help plot their route out of lockdown and as more is discovered about the virus it can provide some confidence as the country proceeds to the certainly the more riskier phases of our roadmap of exiting lockdowns I mean thinking in particular of large social gatherings and the opening of pubs Dr Gillian de Gascoigne with the National Virus Reference Laboratory at UCD said he hopes to finalise the proposal and to get ethical approval by the end of the month and then the tests will be rolled out from June. Now the logistical arrangements are still to be finalised but it would target representative samples of the population from a distinct geographic areas. Now he said... They would take, samples would be taken from, they would, you know, take so many of a various age group, gender, ethnicity, other factors would be looked into it. I mean, there would be two very different regions, one for the high prevalence, I mean, obviously Dublin and the east of the country, and then one with lower uh, prevalence of COVID-19 at the moment. An invitation would be made to the general public. They want to get a baseline first across the general uh, population. It's yet to be clarified how it will work in practice but each person would get their own result. What it's likely to be is a blood test would be taken by practice nurse in your GP or your GP and the result actually will be available on the same day because it's thought that many people here, up to 50% of those who got the virus didn't have any symptoms and were unaware that they even had the infection. Others would have felt sick, would have self-isolated at home, but never got tested. So they were never for sure will know if they had COVID-19 or not without having this test. And scientists believe the majority of people who have had the virus will have some form of antibody uh, response. So I think that certainly is a good news story. And I think it will definitively answer for a number of people. I don't know how many people I have spoken to who will say either just before Christmas or just after Christmas that they were unwell with flu-like symptoms 
and really not feeling well and people had to take to the bed, didn't know what it was, putting it down to the flu, putting it down to bad chest infections. People had bad uh, coughs. I know somebody in my own uh, family who had that lost that sense of smell and taste, had a little bit of a cough, wasn't feeling very unwell, but was really perturbed about the fact that his sense of smell and his sense of taste just completely disappeared for about a week. Now, it, it suddenly came back and the cough cleared up. But he's now starting to think because there's now more talk of sense of smell, sense of taste, the loss of it being a symptom of COVID-19. He's convinced that he had COVID-19 at the time but obviously didn't go uh, for testing. And there's many other people like that. You'll speak to people who'll say either they themselves or another family member were unwell. Could it have been COVID-19? And the one way of finding out for sure is to have this antibody test. As I say, it's not expected uh, to be done. It's not expected to be rolled out until uh, next month. So we'll bring you more details of that when it becomes available. And thank you to John in Clonakilty who sent me on the most glorious photographs of Inchidani Beach this morning. Best part of the day and it's just a clear blue sky. It just looks gorgeous. It's almost made me green with envy how I wish I could be there to walk that beach. It is enjoy it uh, John and anyone who has any beach within five kilometres that they're allowed to get out and uh, exercise enjoy particularly during this really nice nice weather uh, that we have at the moment and actually talking about that five kilometre uh, WhatsApp in from no name of this there are, there's lots of advertising for places that have started to reopen says this texter people need to be reminded though we're not supposed to travel further than five kilometres from our houses and the time frame is the 20th of July before we can travel further than uh, 20 kilometres but as of now it's only five kilometres and yesterday actually when we were uh, yesterday and the day before when we were talking about the reopening of Photo Wildlife Park and it's terrific to see Photo Wildlife Park uh, reopen but Yes, and Total Wildlife Park themselves are saying, remember, you have to be living within five kilometres. The only people that are entitled to visit Photo Wildlife Park on these, the first of the reopening have got to be within five kilometres. Are people sticking to that? I don't know. I really don't know. But I have, while well, I haven't been stopped by the Gardaí coming to work in the last couple of weeks and we were talking about this in the office John Paul and Sadie are saying the same thing probably the last uh, two weeks that's not to say that the Gardaí are not out there doing checkpoints I heard of somebody yesterday who was stopped who was going from one side of the city to the other side of the city to go for uh, a walk that they do every day and got a right hold grilling from the Gardaí as to exactly where they were going how long would they be and uh, so that's not to say that the Gardaí are not out if you're going to think oh I'll chance my arm the Gardaí are not checking they are still checking and that regulation is still there that we ha- we can only travel. You can go out for your walk, you can go out for your exercise, but you can't go outside of uh, the five kilometre rule. And actually, when we were talking about the golfing and people being allowed to, to golf had to be within the five kilometre rule. I did see someone, I don't know if it was somebody from Neffet or somebody from the government saying that that five kilometre rule for golfers could be as the crow flies, because if you... If you, if you look at your map and as the crow flies, you could get further on the five kilometres than if you get in the car and actually clock driving five kilometres. So I don't know how many golfers are aware of that or how many golfers have gone outside of the five kilometres to get their round of golf in. And hi, Patricia, would the young people ever cop themselves on a little bit? Grouping all the time. I saw two girls yesterday hugging when they met each other in Butterfield. Social distancing doesn't seem to mean anything to them. We really have to get the message through to young people when it comes to social distancing there and I think with young people because it isn't 
when that group get it and even if sometimes if they get it they don't even know that they have it but I think what the message we have to get through to them is they could bring it home then and give it to granny or granddad or give it to a parent or give it to somebody else in the household that's vulnerable if we can get that message through uh, to young people and thank you to Michael in Castlehamber who made me smile with a picture that he sent on and somebody very cleverly put this up outside on a blackboard written on a blackboard chalk written in white chalk outside a pub and it says to anyone thinking of doing sober October or dry January if you could do that now instead please thanks kind regards the pub Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie The Road Safety Authority has been back to us that query we put in yesterday from the listener who was wondering uh, has a family member who has a UK provisional driver's licence and was wondering uh, is that recognised in this country and could the person drive once they had an accompanied driver you know abiding by all the rules that we look for uh, on a learner permit here is that recognised so we got onto the RSA and they've come back to tell us not good news I'm afraid a UK provisional licence is not recognised in this country so that person can't drive even with a fully qualified driver on a UK provisional licence Margaret says a member of her family has been waiting eight weeks for the result of a Covid test is that normal? No we've heard of people waiting two weeks 16 days I think 18 days was the most I heard somebody wait for a result I will be getting back onto the test centre back onto your GP Margaret your, that test result has somehow fallen between the cracks and due to a burst mains water mains customers are without water today parts of Charleville Town including Brooms Court, Manor Hill and the surrounding uh, areas. Uh, they're working on it, uh, the Council on Irish Water, and they expect to have water back by five o'clock uh, today. 1850 Now, it was reported yesterday that the government will seek to have the Dáil rush through authorisation for billions of euro in additional funding for social welfare payments next week amid concerns that the Department of Social Protection will effectively run out of money in early June. Solidarity TD for Cork North Central is fearful that the weekly payment of €350 euro may be cut. And uh, Deputy Mick Barry uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Mick. Good morning to you, Patricia. Uh, and and you are welcome. Are you looking for a guarantee that the current €350 euro will not be cut even when a new government is formed? Yes, I am. There should be no cut to this payment. Um, The payment at the moment is helping huge numbers uh, of families throughout the country. Uh, It's what's putting food on the table. It's what's keeping a roof over the head. It's what's keeping the wolf from the door. So the idea that any time soon there would be a cutback in that payment is something that I would strongly oppose. I don't think that when the um, extra cash is voted on in the Dáil next week, that it's going to be linked to the idea of cutting the payment. I think what's more likely is that you'll have the formation of a new government uh, sometime in the middle or end of June, uh, and then they will put on the agenda the question of cutting the payment uh, sometime after that. That's basically how things seem to be lining up. And in 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 an ideal world, you would say the three hundred and fifty euro remains in place until when? Till everyone is back to work? Would you put an end date on it? I'm not putting an end date on it. Um, but I'm saying clearly, while this uh, crisis is affecting such huge numbers of people, uh, and such huge number of people are in need uh, of that payment, 
that it's completely premature to be uh, looking at cutting it or, as the Minister says, tapering it back, particularly given the case that there are vast quantities uh, of wealth in this country that the government says is out of bounds and that they can't go near. I mean, um, I'm not on the COVID payment myself, obviously, uh, but if I were using that money to put food on the table for my kids, I would be very, very upset about the idea of it, particularly in the light that there is, um, what, 10 individuals who have 53 billion euro worth of wealth between them and the government won't even talk about wealth taxes. 14.3 billion euro in a bank account from the Apple back taxes that the government doesn't even attempt to get its hands on. So if we need to access uh, new sources of finance to keep this payment going as long as it's needed, then that's whose door the government should be knocking on. We need to have a conversation about wealth taxes in this country. What about the other unemployed people, uh, Mick, who were unemployed before the current coronavirus crisis uh, kicked in and their job seekers' benefit is €203 a week? There are some saying if you're going to maintain the €350 COVID-19 payment, then surely everyone that's unemployed should be getting €350. Yeah, that's a very strong point. Uh, And the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, when he was questioned on it yesterday, conceded that it was a very strong point. Now, I think the Minister for Finance was making the the point that the €350 payment has to come down rather than that the €203 payment has to come up. But I think that's a powerful argument for increasing the €203 payment. And I think it's an argument that will grow stronger uh, the longer that the €350 payment has to remain uh, in place. But Pascal Donoghue has clearly stated that the COVID payments can't last indefinitely. Yeah, it's clear that uh, senior civil servants in the Department of Finance uh, are of the view that the sooner the COVID payment is scaled back, cut back, the better. Um, I don't think that uh, Minister Donoghue fundamentally disagrees with that, although I think he is a little bit more nervous of public opinion than Uh, the mandarins in the Department of Finance uh, would be. But the basic point remains here. Uh, It's not true to say that the country cannot afford to keep this payment in place for um, a period of time. Uh, The country can afford it, but only if you go after the untaxed wealth that is there in, form, in the form of the super rich and the likes of the Apple taxes, etc. Yeah, but you know that's not going to happen. They're going to borrow the money instead and we'll be paying it back for years to come. Well, it, 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 we shouldn't just accept that it's not going to happen. Uh, I think ordinary people need to push back against the idea that there's no alternative and uh, push back in favour of the idea of saying I mean, I gave you the figure there earlier on. Ten individuals with 53 billion euro worth of wealth between them. And the government says we can't have a conversation about wealth taxes. That's absurd. Particularly but, when So saying, therefore, do we need a government of the left to go in there and, and sort that out? Yes, we do. And what's happening with the possible forming of talks between the left-led majority, to, to uh, form a left-led majority government? There have been conversations between uh, Solidarity, People Before Profit on the one hand and Sinn Féin on the other hand. Um, 
But unfortunately, uh, a number of parties who would be seen as leaning to the left have not shown uh, great interest uh, in, in, in getting involved in those conversations. Um, the Social Democrats, uh, for one, but in particular the Greens, uh, who seem to be far more interested in doing a deal with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael uh, than they are with parties like uh, Sinn Féin or Solidarity People Before Profit. And I think there's a lot of people who vote Green who wouldn't be too too happy about that, to be honest. Well, a lot of people say they voted for change and uh, change is not a government formed by Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and uh, Greens uh, for sure. But it's, you know, that's the way the numbers ended up at the end of the day. By the way, just on government formation, because, I mean, we don't know what's still we don't know what's going on, particularly within the Green Party, because they could end up with a new leader. And, you know, how long what happens then if they've got a new leader, a different leader to the one that negotiated the programme for government. But um, if. If, if it doesn't last long or if they can't form a government and you're saying on the left they're not the numbers there to form a government, realistically, are we looking at another general election? I think that uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have two options at the moment, Patricia. Uh, number one is to form uh, a government with right-wing independence, which would include the likes of Dennis Nocton uh, and uh, Michael Lowry. Um, and the second would be to form a government with those right-wing independents, but also with the Green Party. Um, I suspect that if they pull off the deal with the Green Party, I would put that at better than 50-50. They, they will uh, have a go at, at having a, a government which runs its term or, or comes close to it. Uh, I think that if they don't get the Green Party involved and they're relying on the votes of a couple of independents, uh, I suspect then uh, we will have a general election in the short to medium term. Whether uh, they would be able to have an election in the autumn with the situation with Boris, uh, I would have a question mark about that, uh, but perhaps uh, we might be looking at uh, uh, next year. Uh, I think the next election will offer a real opportunity to those who are opposed to Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, uh, and the traditional establishments. They, they got strong blows dealt to them by the electorate on February 8th. Huge numbers of people voted for change. It was a little bit short of what might be needed, but there would be an opportunity to to finish the job, so to speak, in a second general election. But um, when that would be, it's not in my hands. Okay, and as I say, rather hard to do it in the middle of of a pandemic. Just on one final point on the COVID-19 payment, this uh, story of the over 200,000 people are earning more on a COVID-19 payment than they were when they were working. I mean, it's it's predominantly people who were working part-time. Does that need to be looked at? Well, I think that that um, story today um, shouldn't be seen in isolation. Um, I think it's part of a drip-drip of information. There was another uh, similar type of statement made by IBEC uh, quite recently. Uh, What you have now is you have an orchestrated campaign by the political and the business establishment to try and soften up public opinion for cutbacks in the uh, COVID uh, €350 payment. The reality of the situation, Patricia, in, in, in my book is that if people are better off on €350 a week than they are uh, in work, what it actually says uh, is is not a lot about how how high the payment is. It says a lot about how low pay is in those particular workplaces. Oh, you can't say that because some of the people are just, uh, it's a Saturday job. I mean, we heard from so many students who just work on a Saturday, a couple of hours Saturday, a couple of hours Sunday, and they've gone from €100 Euro to €350. Euro. Like a lot in that 200,000 people are part-time, are people working in the hospitality industry, not doing a full 39-hour week. 
Yeah, I wonder how many uh, in, 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 in the total are, are, are not doing a 39-hour week or who wouldn't be far off it. Um, you know, 350 euro a week is just barely over 18,000 a year. I mean, anyone who's um, working, you know, 20 hours a week, let alone 30 hours or 39 hours a week, uh, that's a low, uh, a low wage. And I think that while there might be this example or that example in a general overall sense, I think those figures say a lot more about low pay and the need to address low, the issue of low pay in this country than uh, anything uh, else. Is, is it possible, Patricia, just to make a very brief point okay, about go on. the situation unfolding at Debenhams? Oh yes, please do, please do. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, this is a, is a real scandal what is happening here. I mean, these workers received their redundancy notices yesterday. It's the statutory minimum, two, two weeks per year of service. And at the same time, this company, Debenhams UK, are engaged in a massive asset stripping uh, uh, operation. I mean, they're trying to take the profitable online business of the Republic of Ireland. They're trying to take the valuable leases. They're trying to take the stock, which is probably worth at least €25 billion. Euro. That's money that should be going on keeping jobs here. Three of the stores we know are profitable. Uh, at the very least, it should be going to pay a decent redundancy package instead of leaving the workers high and dry and making the uh, taxpayer foot the bill. And the key point, and this is the point that I'll finish on in relation to this, the government are standing idly by. They're folding their arms. They're saying there's nothing that we can do. Fianna Fáil are offering bucket loads of sympathy to the workers. The workers are appreciative of the words of support that they've gotten from Fianna Fáil, but the time has passed for uh, words. It's time for action now, and Fianna Fáil are in a position to act. They are involved in negotiations for government. They're in a position to bang the table. Uh, They can say to the government, we insist that as part of these negotiations, there's a strategy for saving jobs in retail, and we want to start with saving as many jobs as possible in Debenhams, and jobs that can't be saved, at the very least, it should be a decent uh, uh, package. Absolutely. Not the insult that you, those workers... You, you couldn't help but have sympathy for, for the workers, particularly losing their job uh, in the current situation. Listen, we leave it there. Mick, thank you for that and thanks for joining thank us you. on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Cork North Central Solidarity Dáil Deputy Mick Barry. Cork Today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Infectious disease outbreaks like COVID-19 can be worrying, which may affect your mental health. However, there are many things you can do to mind your mental health during times like these. Stay informed, but set limits for news and social media. Exercise regularly, especially walking, but keep within two kilometers of your home. Keep regular sleep routines. Maintain a healthy, balanced diet and avoid excess alcohol. Practice relaxation techniques such as meditation and breathing exercises. Read a book. Search for online exercise or yoga classes, concerts, religious services or guided tours. Improve your mood by doing something creative. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. And just a couple of comments in uh, reacting to my piece with uh, Deputy Mick Barry and talking about the COVID-19 payment and the fact that the payment is €350 versus €203 for somebody on job seekers. Should it be extended? Uh, And it is going to be extended beyond uh, June the 8th uh, for sure. Uh, But Pascal Donoghue saying it can't last indefinitely. Um, He's talking about tapering it out. How long will it last? Will they put an end date 
uh, on it. A listener said, listening to you on the radio there, what's really, really unfair is I work part-time. I do eight hours a week and I cannot get the COVID-19 payment because my employer got the wage subsidy scheme instead. It's not a very fair system, is it? I get €359 for the entire month of March and April, which breaks down to €89 per week. This is appalling. Whereas if I had been let go from my job, I'd be on the COVID-19 payment and I'd get €350 a week. Whereas for staying in work, I'm only getting €89 for eight hours a week. Uh, Hi, Patricia. I've just submitted my timesheets today for the last five weeks' work. 120 hours in total. I deal with severely challenging behaviour. I get hit, spat at, kicked, etc. If I was getting the COVID-19 payment, I would be taking home €1,750 for that five weeks' work. As I say, I worked 120 hours and believe me, I won't get anything near that figure. It's an absolute joke. No wonder people don't want to go back to work or to even look for jobs when they're getting this straight into their bank account every week for doing nothing. Fair enough. If people have no other choice and they can't get back to work, but definitely people out there have the choice, the COVID payment over going out to work and there are people who are quite happy to stay at home and not get back out to work. And someone else says when people are talking about and, Mick, uh, and, and I put it to Mick Barry and he said yeah, it's something that is certainly being looked at the difference in the two figures the €350 Euro for the people who lost their job due to COVID-19 uh, versus the other group of people who are have been unemployed before COVID-19 they're on job seekers benefit of €203 uh, Euro. this listener says you're not comparing like with like people who are on social welfare will have rent allowance council houses medical cards etc unlike those the newly employed on the 350 they are paying back mortgages etc and of all of the other bills that they had when they were out at work You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Can we put a call out for Noel in he's living in rural Bantry area he contacted us this morning he's desperately in need of a new house phone his the reception on his house phone is crackly. The the phone line is fine. It's the actual handset that he's using. It's old and it needs to be uh, replaced. He can't get out to the shops. He can't get out. He's nowhere close enough within the five kilometres uh, to go and get one. So he's just wondering if anybody has an old house phone. Maybe you replaced your old house phone and you've kept one in a back cupboard somewhere and you know you're never going to use it and you'd be willing to pass it on and donate it. Now, ideally, somebody in the rural area of Bantry where we could arrange to get the phone dropped to Noel or Noel could meet somebody somewhere for, for the handover social distancing with all of that in mind so if anybody can help us with that a house phone in good working order uh, kind of uh, just to help out Noel in the Bantry area and we have all of Noel's uh, contact details now I want to go to the phone lines because let's see if we can help out this family in Charleville Jenny Foley uh, joins me from Charleville uh, good morning to you, Jenny Good morning, Patricia. Ah, Jenny, you've got a heartbreaking story to share yeah. with us of your gorgeous family dog, Ginger. T- right. Now, I've got to go back. Is This is the May bank holiday weekend, is it? That's right, yeah. Patricia. It was on May the 2nd, Saturday evening on May the 2nd. What happened? She, well, she was stolen from our back garden, unfortunately. And you're um, convinced the dog was stolen? Oh, absolutely, Patricia. There was damage done to our fence. We've got a six foot fence around our back garden you know we have to have it secure for Ashton as well um, Ashton has autism uh, I, I don't know if you know of the story or not but um, yeah so we have a six foot fence around our garden and afterwards um, we checked and the pan- a panel from the fence had been forced away 
and pulled out and uh, they had to put their hands in and take in ginger. And ginger, uh, how, how long have you had ginger? We've had ginger from the start. She she was a puppy. We have her since she was a puppy. And what eight, eight months? Eight months. Eight months now. And a little yeah. a little King Charles uh, spaniel. Little, yeah, yeah. And she was. Were you in the house? Were you at home when it happened? Well, yeah, we were upstairs. I was just putting Ashton to bed, and uh, our usual routine now it would be Ashton would put Ginger to bed. Oh. He'd give her an old cuddle and a kiss, and he'd go off to bed himself. And that's exactly what happened on that Saturday night. We were upstairs. We went to bed as usual. I have two brothers that were downstairs and um, I could hear them moving around. I kind of knew there was something going on. Mm-hmm. So Ashton went off to sleep. So I went downstairs and my brother said, Ginger is gone. So And it was very obvious that uh, somebody had, had, had broken oh, yeah. in through the, through, through the fence. Yeah. Do you, yeah. do you, and I hate to even th- ask you this question, mm-hmm. Do you think you were being watched? Do you think that? Do you think they knew that there was this little King Charles in the back garden? You know, it took me a few days to kind of realise. Yeah, the house was probably being watched, Patricia. To be honest with you, because like I say, the fence was covering our yard. You know, it wasn't. I don't think it was like a random act. Yeah, I because think. we've we've heard in the past of a, of a little dog being out in the front garden, and somebody leans in, mm-hmm. you know, passes, sees the dog, picks it up, yeah. and is gone. That couldn't have happened in your case. Not in this particular area, you know, where the back of our house is facing a laneway as well. Like, you know, you'd have to be travelling down in especially. Do you know what I mean? Shocking, shocking. But what's, okay, it's bad enough to lose a much-loved pet, but Mm -hmm. your backstory is different and it's because of little Ashton. He's got a great connection with Ginger. Absolutely. Um, uh, He isn't a boy that gets attached to people things, you know, animals as such. So when we see him getting attached to Ginger, we were all in awe. As a family, we just could not believe it. If Ashton was ever upset or if he got, um, you know, he he kind of gets, he has meltdowns, Patricia, I suppose is the best yeah. way to describe it. The way we would solve it is he would go out the back with Ginger. Yeah. He would, she would lie across his legs, he'd rub her, he'd pet her, and he would just absolutely calm down. You know, she just brought a lovely light to him. And it's, how do you explain to a little four-year-old boy with autism that his beloved dog is, is gone? You really can't. The only thing that we came up with that night that she went, we were, myself and my brothers were here and we were thinking, how are we going to, how are we going to face this in the morning when he wakes up expecting to see her? We, the only thing we could say is she was at a sleepover at my brother's house. Okay. Now that routine very quick as you can imagine because he's absolutely routine orientated, you know. His yeah. routine was get up in the morning and we he, we call her Ginger Rogers. <laughs> it became, you know, a name that, and he'd look for Ginger Rogers and we just don't know what to do because seven o'clock in the evening, I dread it because that's when it starts. He starts asking for her again, you know, looking for her. Where is she? You know, and what I can't, I can't give my child what he wants, what he needs. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. Did you report to the guards? Yeah, yeah. The guards have been very good. They're investigating all the time. But at the moment, you know, it's they, we have CCTV as well. And they are investigating that. 
But, uh, did um, anything show up on the CCTV? There was, but I'm unable to talk about it. Okay, at the all right, okay. Okay, yeah. and uh, and you've put up a Facebook page? Oh, yeah, we have a page up. Uh, it's called One Boy and His Dog. We have it dedicated to this campaign. I can't believe the amount of people that have come to us with messages of hope, um, just messages, you know, asking how we're doing, how is Ashton doing. People have asked if we would like another puppy. People have, you know... So, so kind. I can't begin to say how happy we are with what people are doing. They couldn't be any nicer. People are good. Re- people, people, are, people, people are absolutely amazing. They're unfortunately that tiny percentage of the rotten ones, the ones that took, oh, yeah. uh, took ginger, yeah. but the majority are, are good, good people. Is, yeah. is that an option for you, um, Jenny, to get another yeah. dog? I just wanted to say that um, as grateful and all as we are, we are really, but... It's not really an option because, like I say, Ashton doesn't get attached to other dogs. It was just this bond, this unbreakable bond that the two of them had together. Like she was, she's the same as him. So I can imagine she's missing him too, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's about her too. Like, where is she? Is she being minded? Is she being looked after? Like, she must have been pining for Ashton also, you know? She's only a puppy, like. So what? What you need is somebody somewhere knows something. It's just yeah. you don't want to question why, who. No, you just want the dog back. Absolutely not. Oh, there. If anybody has any little bit of information at all that somebody knows something and is afraid to come forward because this is so, you know, big at the moment. There's absolutely no reason to be afraid. We would actually thank you for coming to us and just okay. bringing her back. And how is Ashton getting on? I mean, we've we've touched on it somewhat mm-hmm. on the program. Uh, children with special needs, children with, yeah. with autism during lockdown. How how are you coping with all of that, Jenny? Well, you see, this is the thing. Lockdown was a big change for him, and it was a natural, you know, for, for going from preschool, going from seeing his little friends and his routine. And Ginger was a massive part of his new routine. We will say. And she really made it an awful lot easier. Like, if, you know, she just, we'd be out the back, we'd be out playing. And that was a massive thing for him, just to have her there, you know. Other than that, now at the moment, it's actually very difficult. Whereas everything, he everything understand. is gone. Yeah, he's absolutely traumatised. That's the only word I can think of. Yeah, everything and is it, gone. His routine of yeah. play school is gone and now he's his beloved dad. friend, yeah. She actually is his best friend because, like I say, he doesn't get attached to people or anything, you know, apart from myself because I'm always here. He had no choice but to get attached to me. But, um, yeah, so, like, it's he's just traumatised. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know. He can't express why he's so upset. He can't, you know. And, and, ha- and how, how, are, just, how are you doing? I'm heartbroken, Patricia, to be honest with you, because the way I feel is, like, any parent would. You just want your child to be happy. You don't care about anything else. You just want him to be happy. And I can't do that for him. And it's absolutely destroying me at the moment. God help you. God help you. It's just somebody somewhere yeah. must know something. And it's, he's a standard little King Charles Spaniel. Yeah, but um, the thing as well I must point out is she has a distinctive mark on her. It comes from her left ear. It's almost like a perfect circle. Okay. Just above her left ear. It's very distinctive. And we have been putting out about that mark because 
you couldn't mistake it. It's not something that you can take away from her, you know. She microchipped? She's not microchipped, but she is neutered. Okay. And collar? Did she have a collar on? No, no collar. But that could could be taken off anyway. Yeah. She was only ever out the back, you know. She was only ever... Patricia, could I just say one thing as well? Just I want to say a very special thank you to two people in Newcastle West who saw this story and they've been helping me tirelessly since it started. Um, their names are Serena and Christine Sexton and I would not be able to keep this going without them. That's They're right. on it day and night and I mean that. They never, ever stop and they said they won't stop until Ginger is back with us. And are these really, are these friends of yours or people who have only just... These are two people that saw my story and contacted me straight away. They hang posters, they go around in their car every day, they're on the internet, they've contacted dog, animal people, you know, animal welfare people, they've contacted ports in case she tries to get taken out of the country. They're absolutely amazing. And what, what are their names again? Serena and Christine Sexton. And they're from, where did you say? Newcastle West. Well done. Well, are they sisters? They're mother and daughter. Mother and daughter. What a pair. And I, what a pair. absolute angels that have been sent to me. Well I done. can't. I I can't believe how much they do. Well yeah. done. Listen, you look after yourself. Look after Thank Ashton, you. and please God, by highlighting it, it just might yes. spur somebody on to do Absolutely. the right thing because that's what we're asking people to do. Yeah. Okay. You look after right. yourself. Thank you. God bless. Thank God you bless. for having me on. No problem. Bye-bye. Our pleasure. And um, it's uh, Jenny Foley on behalf of her son Ashton looking for their little dog Ginger King Charles Spaniel. Please, please, if anybody knows anything just to get that dog uh, reunited with that uh, very special little boy. Somebody says, what an awful thing to do. Please, whoever took that dog, bring it back. How could anyone do such a thing to a little boy? Whoever took the dog should be thankful that they're fit and uh, healthy. This little boy needs the dog. I just, I hate the idea that somebody was watching the house. I think that's the the one part that got to me when I realised that it was closed in in the back garden because we have heard of dogs just being taken from somebody's garden. You know, an opportunistic theft. But I I would hate to think that somebody actually deliberately targeted at that little dog and if they did and um, that they knew it was belonging to a little boy with special needs my God that's just utter badness is, is it not anyway let's just uh, keep a look out if anybody knows or has heard of anything uh, that little King Charles uh, Spaniel Ginger let us know please 1850 at 3331033 somebody says wishing that lady uh, Jenny the very best of hope and I'll pray that she and Ashton uh, will get their little dog Ginger back please bring that dog back whoever took him says uh, somebody else yeah I think you know the majority of people that's all we would want is for them to be reunited and let him it's you know it's tough enough for an autistic child not you know he's little play school is is gone so that routine is gone so this little dog just means so much more to that family I mean we all love our animals and we'd all be devastated if an animal was stolen like that but I think in a situation like this it's just it's completely different 1850 just going to some more of your texts coming in when we were talking earlier about the COVID-19 payment and how 200,000 people are actually better off unemployed in claiming this COVID-19 payment than they were when they were back in work a couple of comments in on that Hi Patricia there are lone parents who are working four hours 
dollars a week and now getting three hundred and fifty euro a week. Why would they want to go back to uh, work? Someone else. This is on the students who are missing out on work. The ones that would have taken up work for the summer months, uh, and th- the government are saying that they're looking at that and they're they're trying to do something for that group of people. Somebody says the job seekers is one hundred and twelve euro a week for under twenty threes for students, etc. Uh, leaving certain students at all jobs uh, lined up and they're all gone as well. Uh, that payment, if they decide to just give them the job seekers of 112, won't do much for them, particularly for those leaving such students who are trying to do their best to save a bit of money during the summer months with those summer jobs and they could put it towards their uh, college when they head back in uh, September. Uh, John and Clonacilty says, Patricia, we're the best country in the world. We pay more to stay off work than we do to send people to work. A few years ago, I met a man from another European country who was living here and he couldn't get over the fact of what a great country that we have. He was talking about the fact that people on social welfare got a Christmas bonus while people that are out at work, not everyone gets a Christmas bonus. In other countries, he said, people that work get the bonus, not those that are sitting at home. Uh, My God, the country might give the country hope might give the country I hope it lasts a mighty country sorry says John a mighty country I hope it uh, lasts somebody who I reckon if you asked John does he think the 350 euro is too generous he would say it is and that's coming from his uh, point of view when I mentioned about this test is antibody test that's expected to be launched next month and this is to try to work out how many people had COVID-19 that never even knew they had COVID-19 and as I say everyone anecdotally seems to have a story of knowing somebody who was unwell and their gut instinct tells them they may have had COVID-19 but how would you know? The only way you would know is if you can get this blood test and check to see do you have antibodies. The listener says Morning Patricia my husband ended up in hospital on the 1st of January. He actually needed ICU intervention. He was very very sick. He had every single symptom that they're talking about with regards to COVID-19. He was told at the time that it was an Australian flu that had arrived early. We are now convinced he had COVID-19. It was identical. So I would love to get that test to see if it was. Because didn't they uh, come out and say that they they now reckon, certainly I know in the United Kingdom and in America, I'd have to double check on Ireland, they've come out and categorically said that they've now, they now know for sure that there was cases of COVID-19 in both the UK and in America before Christmas. Uh, and this was even before Wuhan started talking about it. So there had been cases around the world. Was it in this country as early as the 1st of January? It could well have been. 1850 333 C103 Jobs. Carers are required for home care services in Fomoy Castellines in the Connor area. While the Fresh Fish Deli, that's based in Skibbereen, they're recruiting production assistants to work in their busy commercial wholesale and in their kitchen. Agri-fabricating business in North Cork looking for an experienced welder stroke fabricator and domestic and commercial electricians are wanted for new build homes and commercial units all in the Cork area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork Today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. 
encourages you to shop local during COVID-19. Most of our stores remain closed, so we can't go to the shop, but we can still support them by shopping online. Use Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to search for hashtag shop local. And buy from Cork businesses. Buy from Cork businesses. It's a sign of the time. Get everything you need from toys to toilet roll and groceries to gardening. Support your neighbours, friends and communities and shop local. It's a sign of the time. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, a Cork family business looking after you in this time of need. CMIG.ie Shop local with C103. When we were talking earlier about Garda checkpoints and people saying that they're not seeing as many Garda checkpoints as they did, say, two weeks ago, and I was making the point there are still Garda checkpoints out there, well, Eddie and Mallow was on to say he was approaching Fomoy this morning and he came across what he described as the most pleasant Garda. She was smiling before I even got to the checkpoint. Eddie said, actually said to her, it's wonderful to see a cheerful Garda. And she was smiling at everyone. So while some people may be unhappy with these checkpoints, they were very pleasant members of Angarda Shiakona out there doing a great job and they're putting smiles on other people's faces along with that uh, last. Thank you for that uh, Eddie. Now a leading expert at the World Health Organisation has suggested that children should return to school on a gradual basis and not wait until next September, which of course is the date set by the government's roadmap for reopening the economy. So how do parents feel? Well, joining me is Anya Lynch of the National Parents Council Primary Section. Good morning to you, Anya. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Now, Dr David Nabarro is a special envoy on COVID-19 and he says, we have to get used to living with the virus and therefore we need to think about opening schools in Ireland sooner rather rather than later. Do you agree? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of answers to that question, I suppose. What we're doing, we're hearing from lots of parents. We're hearing from parents who are very concerned about their children's emotional, social, educational needs and the long, the long school lockdown. We're also hearing from parents who are very anxious about their children returning to school and concerned about the risks that may be involved. So I suppose we're not um, experts in terms of, of the, the spread of virus, but what we would like to see is that the that, that NEFET keep reviewing the situation around school school closure because we are hearing from a lot of parents who, who their children have particular issues, whether it's special education needs issues, whether the lockdown is just um, having a more of an impact on their children socially or educationally. And, and I suppose what we want to make sure is that in line with that public health advice, if, if Neffert felt that it was safe to do so, that we could maybe have some children back into schools before before the end of the school year. And I, th- I think that's what this doctor is saying. I mean, he was saying, don't, you don't just throw open the doors and let everybody in. He's saying a, yeah. a gradual return. Yes. And I mean, certainly from what we're hearing from parents, the, the, the school closure is having a, a, a different impact on different children. And I think if we could, you know, nearly six, it could nearly be six months out of school by the time September, October comes around. And that's a huge length of time for some children who struggle um, generally anyway, that this, this amount of time out of school, this amount of time not socialising um, and, and meeting their, I suppose, emotional needs of friends and, 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 and their school yeah, going because, time. Yeah, because that same doctor says keeping children home from school can have long-term effects on their development. It's not just the educational uh, needs. Well, this is it, and it's, I suppose it's all about balancing risk. And I suppose what, that, that's what we're really asking NEFET to do is look for those particular cohorts of children in the balance of risk. Is there something that we can do? And I think in that cohort as well is, is sixth class children. And, you know, children, when they're transitioning between schools, 
this is a critical time for them. And children will, some children will do better than others at that. And part of the, I suppose, the end of their primary school year is in preparation for the beginning of their, their, their secondary school schooling. And some children missing out those key uh, contacts with their primary school at the end, uh, end of that school year will have a bigger impact than other children. And I think we need to see if there are solutions that Neffet believe are a safe, um, a safe alternative that we could do in terms of bringing those children back into school. And we also now know that children don't get as sick from coronavirus and neither are they the super spreaders which we were first led uh, to believe. So there's a lot of additional information out there that really needs to be taken into consideration that wasn't perhaps there when they closed the schools back in March. Yeah, and we feel the same. I mean, there's, there's, there's that piece that we now know about um, children in terms of spreading the virus and, and, and getting the virus. And then there's also the information we now know about 22 other European countries where children have started to go back. So so exactly that, there's, there's information we now have that we didn't have when that roadmap was being developed. And, and we would just, you know, think that it would. It, we, we need to start considering, and certainly NEFIT need to start considering that, and the risk that that some children are maybe at a greater risk of, of staying out of school in September to others, and see if there is a safe way that we could um, we could gradually bring those children in a limited basis back into school. The other the other ad- advantage um, maybe of bringing a, a small group of children back in before the summer holidays is it, it would be a very controlled period of time to see how the procedures within schools can work, but also then then the schools would be closed for July and August and it would give us a two-month period to see if there is any impact from that gradual return to school. That, that's a natural, a, a natural uh, gap, I suppose, rather than children starting to go back into September and then the next gap being half-term. So... That's a really good suggestion. That's a really good suggestion. And then they, they could get it right because the fear would be that if they just go for the blanket opening of schools in September and they get it wrong, we could be back here with another lockdown. Yeah, and I suppose, I mean, I don't think there's a suggestion that we'd have a blanket open in September, but even a gradual opening in September, the next natural break is quite, you know, a number of weeks away. And then it's only a short break. Whereas I think if there was a limited opening before the summer, we've got two months to see if, if there's an impact in, in terms of the spread of the virus over that two month period before we, we, we go back into schools opening up again. So, And we definitely know, have the opportunity, do we not, to learn from other countries, as you know, as, as you mentioned, other countries uh, who have reopened schools uh, have, have said it hasn't led to a significant increase in infections. Well, this is it, and I think, I mean, I, I, I take the point from, from, the, from the experts in this field that all countries are going through things at different stages and in different ways. Um, so I, I know that we can't just go, well, they're doing that in that country, so let's do it here. But I think there is a lot of learning that, that, that we can take from how other, children, how other countries are doing it and how they're responding to it, so, and, and applying that then to our context in, in, in Ireland. So I suppose that as, as a National Health Council, that's really what we're asking NEFIT to do is to, to keep this under a constant review and, and see if, if it's possible that some children who are at the higher risk, as I said before, might be able to return to school in a phased basis towards the end of the school year. OK, a number of listeners want to know, is there much planning going on at the moment to aim for that reopening in September at, the, at school levels? Yeah, so we, we would be involved in an advisory committee with the Department of Education that other stakeholders are involved as well that's looking at how how schools um, reopen and what is needed for that to happen in a safe way. So we're looking at all the different areas that, that need to be addressed um, for that to happen. 
Yeah, I can see people, the sixth class pupils, I think in particular, parents very worried and uh, saddened for the sixth class uh, pupils who don't didn't get to say goodbye uh, to their classmates. Is there any way that they could even bring them back in, even if just for a day, says one uh, listener, just it's almost like a rite of passage when you have your last day in, in school. And there's no talks of, uh, would that be an individual school's choice to do that? Well, I mean, at the moment, schools are, are not permitted to open. So um, at the moment, it's not an individual school's choice. But I suppose what we're asking Neffert to do is to look at that cohort of students when, when you know, in a review of the current, in, a, in review of the current restrictions and see if there is something that's possible. I mean, I, I think we, one of the things that has served as well as a country is that we have based our decisions on evidence and, and it seems to have, have worked very well. So I think it's important that, you know, that that comes as a general recommendation for 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 schools rather mm. than schools are, are under pressure to do individual things. But one of the things, particularly with sixth class, I think, um, we, we you know we might not get to a point where all the children can come in. But one of the things I think in the meantime would be really useful is if maybe the parents' association in the school, some of the students and some of the school teachers had a virtual group where they could discuss ways of marking the end of the the, the school time for these students. Great idea. Know, so that, and particularly hearing the the child's voice in that is the things that would make a difference to them. And I think collectively, if if, if a group of people are looking at that and say, "Well, look, maybe the 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 gold standard of what we want won't be available, but are things we can do to make this a very special time for us, and we'll actually finish up being special because it's different as yeah, well." So yeah. I think it's about looking for solutions as well within what we currently have whilst also looking to the evidence to see if there's something else we can do. Okay, and finally, are you hearing from many parents on you struggling with the homeschooling? We are. I mean, I, I mean, for the, for, I suppose the type of organisation we are, we tend to hear from the parents who are struggling rather than the parents yeah. who are managing. <laughs> but, um, but that being said, I, I, think, um, I think everybody, I suppose beforehand, Maybe there were certain families who struggled with education and certain families who didn't. And now it seems to be that all families are having some level of a struggle. And it's not it's not a natural position for children to be uh, in the main, I suppose, schooled at home with parents who are often trying to work as well. So I think there, there are lots of, uh, of different struggles. And it, it, there's the homeschooling piece of it. There's the separation of home time and school time. There's, there's um, access to the Internet and technology. There's children who find it much harder to engage at home because it's not the natural place where they would do their school study and are missing the teacher and their school friends. So there are all sorts of different struggles definitely happening out there. Okay, listen, we leave it there, Anya. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. That is uh, Anya Lynch, who is with the National Parents Council Primary Section. Cork Today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. This week's uh, Guard the File is Sergeant uh, James O'Donovan, Crime Prevention Officer. Uh, Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you are welcome to the programme. Let's start with, you're looking for a witness appeal for a burglary. Yes, we have a number of burglaries in the West Cork area to cover this morning, Patricia. The first one is uh, occurred there in the Church Cross area of Skibreen there between the 7th and the 9th of May. 
I suppose we're appealing to witnesses to contact us in Skibreen if they saw anyone acting suspicious around the Church Cross area. This particular house was broken into. There was nothing taken, but there was a considerable amount of damage done. So we're, again, appealing to anyone that might have seen any vehicle acting suspicious around the 7th and 9th of May in the Church Cross area of Skibreen. Um, on the 15th of May, then, moving to Bandon in the Deer Park Estate area. I suppose this is a peculiar one, Patricia, the owner of the house was out in the back garden doing a bit of gardening and unfortunately they left the front door um, ajar and an opportunist crime occurred by someone entering the house and taking a purse from the, the front hallway. I suppose if this would have happened during the day and there would have been a number of people around the estate and we're asking those people if they saw anyone that might be out of place in Deer Park to contact the Gardaí and Bandon with any information if they, God, if such they know a, of anything. Such a brazen crime, isn't it? So, But we're back again to front and back doors, keeping them locked even when you're in the house. Exactly, Patricia. And we, we've constantly said it on this show that I suppose we have to be more mindful of even when we're at home now that we have to be mindful that we're, we have the front door closed, if not locked, when we're out the back of the house. And I, I'd be aiming that as farmers as well at this time of year. They're busy. They're up in the morning early milking and they're, they're gone from the house and they mightn't be anyone at home. Maybe um, their wife is gone to work or the, the kids. I know they're not in school, but they could be out in the farm as well. Very important for people to get into the habits of locking those doors now in all houses, even if you're at the back of the house doing a bit of gardening, like this case here in Benton. Okay, and lots of people are out doing gardening, and someone had their lawnmower stolen. Yes, um, this happened in the the Granamuda area of Crookstown um, in Pound Cross uh, between the 12th and the 18th of May. This was a Castle Garden XA63 model lawnmower. It's a push lawnmower, silver. Um, I suppose red with a silver garden box was taken from a shed um, again we're asking for people to that they might have seen someone acting strange I suppose with this restriction of movement as well Patricia I suppose strangers might stand out a bit more in yeah, the locality good point. and you will you will notice a strange car or a strange person around the place a lot of these are very opportunistic crimes as we've often discussed Patricia that they see a opportunity where there might be no one around the house a garden shed mightn't have a lock in it or it might have a lock in it, but they, it just takes four or five minutes to burst open a lock and get uh, valuable garden, um, I suppose, materials taken from a shed. So okay. in the Pongcross area, we're asking for people there between the 12th and the 18th. That's about a, six days over the, the course there of last week to contact the Gardaí in Crookstone if they saw anyone suspicious. And then there was an electric fencer taken. Yes, this is a strange one, uh, Patricia. I suppose we, over the last number of years, we've we've had a number of fences taken because this type of a fencer is an expensive fencer. It's a black galler, black and green galler fencer. It would be the top of the range, really. Um, it was taken from a farm there in the Dunkerine area of Inishannon there between the 11th and 15th of May. I suppose what I want to get out here is that I'm giving the description of the galler fencers. A lot of farmers would know what the galler fencer is. Unfortunately, there was no distinguishing mark maybe on on this particular type of fencer, but a lot of these properties that are taken are taken for the purpose of resale. So that's the reason why we're giving the description of these. Yeah, because they're um, of use to nobody else unless you have a farm, really. Exactly. Yeah. So they will be for sale at um, markets which are up and running again. I know the one in McCroom is up and running there on, on Tuesday, and I, I believe Bantry is up and running again tomorrow. So again, look... I suppose, first of all, we're appealing for anyone that may have seen anyone out of place on a farm in Dunkerine there on the 11th to 15th of May to contact the Guardian Bandon. But second of all, you know, when you're going to these um, markets where there's property for sale, 
if you look for any identification marks that might be on a specific object that you might be interested in and bear in mind if the price is too good to be true for that object yeah. there's a good possibility that it was stolen not, not, not in all cases that it could be stolen OK and then there was a, a power washer taken yeah a power washer there a Honda red, a red Honda power washer from the Lockerbon area in Dunamore there between the 11th the 9th and the 11th of May again last I suppose the the sad thing about this was that the injured party had left the power washer just out for his neighbour to collect because he was being neighbourly and giving the neighbour a hand. And again, an opportunistic, opportunistic crime. These travelling criminals come in, saw the the power washer and left out and they took it. So again, it's a red hand, the power washer. And we're asking for anyone that saw anyone acting suspicious in the Lockerbon area of Dunamort between the 11th and or the 9th and the 11th of May to contact the Gardaí in Crookstone. OK, and there was fire damage in uh, the GA pitch in McCroom. Yeah, I suppose this is a, it's it's kind of weird from the point of view. That number one, that fire damage was obviously committed by people that were after gathering on the pitch in McCroom against movement restrictions and the HSC guidelines. Number one and number two, it was bad enough that they lit a fire in the middle of the pitch, but they also stole the nets from the goals of the pitch. This occurred there on the 8th and the 9th of May and again we would be very grateful if we could get any information in relation to anyone who might know who was on the pitch or would have seen a group of, um, I suppose, people hanging around on the pitch at that time and they might help us solve this crime. Okay, and it's great to see people out and about exercising. There's more people out running and uh, walking but there's lots more people out cycling and you've noticed an increase in bikes being stolen. Unfortunately, Patricia, we have, I know that we do a lot of work here with our crime prevention officers in Cork North with John Kelly and uh, Tony Davis uh, above in the city. Um, we have seen an increase in the theft of bikes. I suppose people are, they're out and we're, we're applauding them for being out and getting their exercise in, but they might be forgetful that they, they have to lock their bike. Um, they have to secure it when they're leaving it if they're in around their five kilometre route for their exercise and so forth, especially possibly maybe in the cities and the towns. And we're going back to the property marking issue there again as well, Patricia. I suppose for the last number of years we've done a good bit of uh, advocating of property marking. So we're appealing to people that if they are taking their bikes, number one, take a lock with them. But number two, before that, take a picture of your bike and note the serial number. And look, it's I suppose it's no great help, but if it is stolen, it, it does help us an awful lot when we have an exact description or a picture of the bike and we can also have a serial number because... Some hope of getting it back. Exactly. And last Christmas, we were successful in um, getting a number of bikes back around Cork City and around the country. And it's very hard to give the bike back if we don't know what type of a bike okay. it is and uh, the serial number okay. is there. So. And a word of advice when people are out and about on the roads, we're into silage uh, season, so the roads are busier in rural areas. Yes, and I touched on it last week or the two weeks ago, Patricia, I suppose. First of all, I want to thank the public, number one. We made an appeal there in relation to boy racers groups going around West Cork. We've had a number of calls and we had a, have had a number of detections uh, in relation to that, especially with the Belnacorga and Domanway route. And um, there is consideration there for prosecutions in those cases. So, again, we'd like to thank the public, number one, for assisting us. I suppose in relation to the silent season and additional road users out there, We've also had people returning to the work for the first time in two months and we've had calls into the station of strange driving habits on the road. People are going back out on the road, Patricia, for the first time possibly in two months, ten weeks maybe, and they mightn't be used to that driving scenario again or being back out on the roads. The roads are 
the road environment has changed an awful lot because of the extra road users on it, be it pedestrians, be it runners, be it cyclists, be it straight out into silage season. There's an awful lot of road works going on at the moment around West Cork. And we're just asking people to be mindful, to take your time, prepare your, for yourself for your journey and just get back into the habits of driving well. Yeah, and I have to say, I've—I mean, obviously, I've, I'm blessed in that I've come to work every day uh, during the during the lockdown. But the one thing, and you know, the roads—they're starting to get a little bit busier now. But when I, you know, I first started during lockdown, I might have been the only person on the road. But the one thing I've noticed uh, since March, since the lockdown, the number of people jogging and out walking in the mornings much more than you would normally see. And as you say, if people have are not used to that, you could come around a bend. And, you know, there could be two or three people out jogging. Exactly. And your reaction times mightn't be as fast because you haven't been driving maybe for the last couple, um, number of weeks, possibly even eight weeks, which is two months, I suppose, since we started there on the 16th, 17th of March. So we're we're just asking people to be very careful over yeah. the roads. You just, don't know just, what's around the next you corner. Yeah, absolutely. And, unfor- and, and unfortunately, there is a lot of people out there. Or unfortunately, but there is an awful lot of more extra people out there at the moment getting their exercise in. And before before we let you go, we'll, we'll do business advice in another week. But I want you to talk about, because we certainly are getting calls in, uh, about young people going to parties in apartment blocks and in houses. Yes, uh, especially at this time of year. Uh, we had a couple of calls there and concerns about... Um, Look, the leaving sorts, I suppose it was a long drawn out saga of decisions being made in relation to that. But once that decision was made, it was the end of the year for the leaving sorts. And we've had a number of calls where there was a groups of people meeting up, be it at beaches or coves and so forth along the, the West Cork area, having their parties for the leaving sort parties. We just want to make another appeal to them, in line with the HSE guidelines, that you're still not allowed to meet up in large groups. You can only meet groups of four externally, not going to other people's houses. And certainly social distancing still has to be adhered to going forward for the next couple of weeks because I think these three weeks are probably very important in relation to where we're going in the in the relaxation of our restrictions going forward, Patricia. Well, this is going to be make or break and whether we can move to the next stage and the next stage. Yes, it's it's a complete indication of where we stand in relation to, I suppose, the curve and the and the number of people um, being infected going forward. The community itself across West Cork have been very good in the last two months, and there is no point in, I suppose, letting ourselves down. And we see all the signs around the country hold firm as a, as a community to to go forward and hopefully reach phase two and phase three and phase four in the proposed time that they're yeah. uh, allowing us to do that in. We're doing well. It would be a shame to ruin it all now. Listen, uh, James, thank you for that. We'll talk again soon, but thanks for joining us today. No problem, Patricia. Thank uh, you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye, Crime Prevention Officer uh, Sergeant James uh, O'Donovan. We are heading towards the news at 12 midday. Look for your pet questions because Jane Pickett will join us in the next hour answering all of your pet uh, questions. And we're also going to raise an, a talk about uh, is there a possibility that RTE are going to withdraw from the Eurovision Song Contest next year? Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie.
Everyone's daily routine has been affected by COVID-19. It can be tricky, but it's more important than ever to look after our general health. Eating well is a huge part of that. It can be hard to know when to eat, what to eat, and how much to eat at the moment. So try to keep to regular times for three meals and two to three snack breaks a day. Setting an alarm on your phone for the first few days to remind you will help. Whatever your circumstances, what's for dinner can be a daily challenge. Planning meals for the week can make this easier and help you make healthier food choices. The food pyramid is always a good guide and make sure to drink plenty of water. Keeping hydrated is so important. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Can I just give a shout out and thank you to Jackie in the Goleen area who heard my appeal for Noel in rural area of Bantry who was looking for a handset for a phone. His phone is playing up and he can't get anywhere outside of the five kilometres to, to get a phone and he was stuck for one. And Jackie was on to us uh, straight away. She doesn't use the landline anymore. She's only using her mobile phone. More than happy to pass uh, her old phone on, which is in full working order, uh, to Noel and Bantry. So we put them in contact with each other. So thank you, Jackie, for that. Now, at last Saturday night's alternative to the Eurovision Song Contest, Cork native BBC's Graham Norton dropped a bit of a bombshell by claiming that RTE may pull out of the song contest next year. Our Eurovision correspondent Johnny O'Mahony uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Johnny. Hi, Tricia. How's it going? I'm very well. Did Graham Norton's comments come as a shock to you or were you aware that RTE is considering not taking part? Complete surprise. And, you know, I, I didn't even kind of bat an eyelid, really, because I thought that there was no story or I, I've, I've heard nothing of the start from any source anywhere. And um, I just thought, great, this, this was kind of strange coming out of Graham, but I thought he must have heard something. And But there was no um, backlash from it at all until yesterday, really, that I, that I saw. Yeah, because I, as soon as I, because I, I, were you watching the Graham? I was, yeah. yeah so was I. I. Just, yeah. I started Googling frantically and couldn't find anything. And I was thinking, mm, where's he after getting this from? And then I was thinking, oh, this is a rumour now he's after picking up on. But I mean, I thought yesterday's piece in The Sun when they contacted RTE and RTE wouldn't give give them a definitive yay or nay. Yeah, no, um, I think Graham, I mean, I've heard stories just in your vision circles over the years. And if you were to, I suppose, listen to everything that went out, you you know, nothing nothing would be right. You'd be, we'd be going on rumours forever. So in that context, that, that was the way I thought. I, I didn't, I just kind of, you know, when, when there was no more about it, I let it go. But then if you go back to, um, like, Ireland uh, confirmed on the, the end of April that they were, you know, that they were, you know, in full... Um, they were going to join up next year and continue as, as things were, that there was, you know, it, there was nothing definitive that, yes, we are 100%. But, you know, they were saying that they um, they were going to continue to engage with DBU and um, continue for Eurovision 2021. Now, having said that, um, there was, um, I saw Leslie Roy being interviewed on TV, I think it was on Virgin Media, one one day um, in the last, kind of week before Eurovision, and she seems to be of the impression that she's going to Rotterdam next year. That's what I took from it, you know, and that she's working with with uh, the writers and composers and she's, you know, in full swing, ready to um, compose for 
She's all systems go. Because are many countries sending what would have been this year's act who who obviously missed out on their moment to shine? Are they sending this year's act next year? At this point, there's 18 confirmed that they are. Okay. And, um, but there's Sweden, there's there's a few countries that have said no. But I think the majority will because I I think for the likes of Sweden where their national selection is a big X-Factor type show and it's big revenue for Sweden that it would they would lose money if they were to oh, go with course. it so for yeah. the likes of Ireland say right well look we had a, a good song this year we had a good singer we had you know we had the whole package with uh, sadly we didn't see the full presentation of it that was being done by with this is pop baby like there was a lot of people involved so I think in that context I think RT have a, agreements made for this year that didn't you know, didn't happen. So I think they'd be kind of obliged to follow those through. So it's not going to be a big expense as such, like that they're not going to lose anything by continuing as they were, whereas Sweden, the likes of Sweden and other countries in that context would be losing big revenue from from their national final show. They are a cash-strapped organisation, RTE, unfortunately. Does it it cost a lot to take part in the Eurovision Song Contest? It does. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot involved. Um, you know. I mean, obviously, you have to. You've got the, the performers, and then the production behind it. And you know, there's a lot of people involved. It's not just the person that stands on stage and sings. And you know, there's a there's a lot goes on ahead. Goes on with it. The production, the presentation. Um, you know, from the the behind the scenes that we don't see at all and never will see. And then you know, getting to Rotterdam and you know. To, it, you have there's there's fees I think to the EBU to participate. There's there's just a lot involved and it's money that they could probably save for something else. But I think the way things are now, I think it's it, it is under the circumstances of COVID nineteen, they're in doubt. I suppose probably right. Where are we next year? Are we going to be? Is is any country going to be in Rotterdam next year? Is it going to go ahead next year? You know, if things don't go according to plan. So I think that doubt might be there. But from a financial side of it, um. They're going to have to. It's it, it is cash strapped, as you say. So it's you know we we need to see where 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 that could come from. Yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be, be a real real uh, shame. And there was two. I, I remember one year where we didn't send a song. But when I, when I checked this last night, and, and we didn't send one in two thousand and two either. No, well, that was because we were knocked out. That was that oh. was for financial reasons. That was because. Okay. The previous year, it was a 2001, yeah, we didn't qualify. Um, so it, did, it was Gary O'Shaughnessy, yeah, he'd have been an uncle of Ryan O'Shaughnessy. He didn't um, score a high enough point, so there was a, rel- uh, a kind of a knockout system at that point before the two semi-finals came in. So, okay, um, and was, 19, I, 1983, was that a cost issue? That was a financial issue. That was financial, issue, yeah. okay. Yeah, All and right. I mean, in the 80s, I mean, everything was affected in the 80s. That's that true. Sideways. That's true. So like, but I think at this point, I think Graham off-the-cuff comment, I think it was maybe based on, somebody could have said something to him and he just said it in, you know, kind of in passing, now realising, you know, you know, you, you hear something, you think, oh God, this is this is the, the story. But I don't think there's anything, um, as I say, RT confirmed and at the end of April that they were engaging with the EBU for next year. So, okay, so I, we, I would we, go we'll, with that rather than go with Graham. We, we will hold on to that. He did, Graham did say after the little clip of Leslie Roy's song was played, he felt we could have won with that song. Yeah, yeah you, I, I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Was, it was a good song. It was good. You know, the more you, it, it, it's kind of, 
it, it is catchy. I have to say that. I think it was stronger there, obviously. That, that I don't think it would have won. I do think she'd have qualified. Not easily, but I think she'd have qualified. But um, I, I would love to have seen the production that this is Pop Baby had planned and, you know, what was rehearsed and what, what the stage the stage setting was going to be, like what was going to be done on stage. Because I think that would have been the make or break of Leslie's song. Yeah, and they can't, we can't send that song next year. That's the, no, no. All, they're all done and dusted now. It's, uh, it's a new, it's for whoever goes next year, it's, from and and so, my song Iceland, the song that should have won the Eurovision and never won the Eurovision, never won the Eurovision, and it's topped almost every. Uh, it's got it's hit TikTok now. It's become TikTok famous as well. Yeah, and it's it, you know he's he's still going. He's has a European tour coming up. Yeah. I think he's doing Dublin in December. Is he? Is he? Yeah. So he's 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 doing well out of he's it. Done. Unfortunately, you know it's it, it, it's disappointing for all the acts. The forty-one acts that were supposed to go to Rotterdam. I mean, it's a big disappointment to you know there was there was some people there I think was great. Or some somebody had a, a, attempted nine times to get to your they were, they were yeah. going for this year, and uh, you know not to happen, but. You know, if it's for you, it won't pass me, and that's how it is. Yeah, yeah, and and I thought they did a great show. I really enjoyed it. Very enjoyable. It, yeah. was, it was different. I mean, there was they couldn't. Um, they had to limit what they, they were limited to what they could do, and it was it was done. I mean, I, it, it was done from Hilversum. I mean, they showed it at the beginning, and I'd seen it on the news a few weeks ago. Ready a high arena where Eurovision was supposed to take place on Saturday and the semi final last week. That it's now turned into a hospital, and they showed a clip at the beginning. Mm. You know, and the, the floor of the main arena, you know, as as with hospital beds and more. It, you know, it, it was frightening to look at it. You know, in that context, and what what should have been, yeah. or what what would have been. You know, that's our reality. And, um, that's uh, yeah, unfortunate. They did a good show. And they did. Was, yeah, and they're the same presenters that were to to present. Which is the, good. The show itself, yeah. Which is good, and it is definitely back. If if everything goes and this pandemic goes away, and we all go back to normality, it will be Rotterdam. Back in Rotterdam, Rotterdam. and I'd say there'll be very little change in what was um, planned. Um, I don't know if they're going to go for a completely new theme or whatever. I mean, there's, there was a lot of work went in. I mean, they were ready to go. They were ready to get into the arena and set up. I mean, everything. So I can't see there being a big change. It's one thing if you've done it. And you, you, you're, they're coming back to Rotterdam next year for whatever reason. But to to have planned everything for a, a show and then not use it and start it from scratch again would be kind of nonsensical. I think. Mm, so mm. I think we'll see that we'll see what we should have, next year what we should have seen this year. Okay, and that will do us nicely. And we just fingers crossed that Ireland will be there. Now I have you on the line. I've been told you yeah. got COVID nineteen. I did, yeah. Back um, around Paddy's weekend, I um, I just wasn't feeling right, and. Um, I, you know, I was, I, I kind of concerned because I, I, I have uh, asthma problems kind of in the past. Yeah. And um, I'd had a chest infection early in the year and um, I thought it was the same thing back. But, you know, after a couple of days, I realised, no, it was more than that. And um, I was out for, I was knocked out for three weeks with it from work. And um, thankfully, I recovered. That's that's the main thing. But yeah. it, was, it was a tough, I suppose, for about a week. It was tough. Very fatigued. Thankfully, no fever. But, uh, Did you have this breathing, the breathing issues that people yeah. talk? Yeah. yeah, the breathing issues. Yeah, very um, tight chest, um, and it was just um, it was it was like an asthma attack that I would have had when I was younger. But yeah. um, I, it, I, it was just I had no sense of smell, I had no taste, very tired. I slept, I slept almost fourteen, fifteen hours a day. But um, you know, it was I didn't have to go to hospital, thankfully. 
and um, I just I looked after well, I, you know, like great support. So um, it, that, that was part of it, but I was, you know, isolated, obviously, and um, just just thankfully got over, recovered. It was recover or, you know, go to And the they can't, it's, it, it, were you given anything? You know, could you take? No. No, there's I, no I antibiotics, had, nothing. No, I had contacted my doctor in the early days because I thought it was a chest infection coming back and I got an antibiotic. But it it may have relieved it somewhat, and I, I was on inhalers that I would have been on anyway. That I kind of took when I had the chest infection, and she, my doctor, said to me, "Just keep on them," and uh, I managed to kind of, you know, do, uh, take them, continue with them. But halfway through, like the antibiotics were finished, it didn't. I felt it didn't make any difference yeah, when they were when I was yeah. off them. It's just one of those things that. Um, you it's know, a virus, it, an antibiotic won't won't work with the virus. No, and then and the and the getting the test and waiting on test results. Did that take long? I was very lucky. I originally I was because I work in the hospital service. I was um, I was fast tracked to get a test done, but I was two and a half weeks waiting for those results. So I mean, any contact tracing after that, anyone I'd been in contact with was all you know. They were all. Um, it, it, had they had it, it would have been too late. But mm. what, what I was lucky because I work, I work in a hospital. The hospital started doing their own testing after a couple of days, and then I got a second test through work. Okay. And I had the results the next day, so I was very lucky. And the contact tracing, everyone that I had been in contact with prior, none of them came down with it. So very Brilliant. lucky that you know. We, and we then were, the, the the question that I ask anyone that I that I talk to: Have you any idea where you picked it up? Have no idea and I don't know anybody that could say where they got it definitely yeah. I honestly cannot say and I mean even though I work in the, in the health service like work, as I said nobody that I worked directly with was like, like, like kind of got it yeah. you know yeah. so it, it was just you people I worked did but I had no contact with them and you know the contact tracing as I said two and a half weeks later and three weeks later they were still doing contact tracing and I did I'd get the same names and say look these people you know they're all and didn't never never suffered from it or never never diagnosed and never tested. Mm. So um I was I was unlucky but I was lucky at the same time because my main concern if it was hospital it would have been into an ambulance and down to the hospital and that was it. You know, you didn't know. But I mean at night time you didn't know, right? Am I going to wake up in the morning? But you know I mean scary. It's really scary. scary. Yeah, you just yeah, you you don't know. But I was lucky from from the work side of it that, you know, I was I was fast tracked. In, in lots of cases and occupational health were great you know they were great support and, and it is it, getting better the the testing I, I and the contact so, tracing yeah, is, is even, getting better even, yeah even I've worked the tests now the testing is reducing and you know things are slowly not then if it'll be back to normal I suppose for a long time but you know things are are changing slightly but I think you know everybody just needs to be due diligent and you know can't at the um social distancing and hand washing and you know if if everybody does the right thing you know it'll it'll improve things you know I was looking on the news there last night the queues for McDonald's and things like that people are losing the run of themselves it's just, it was going to be my next question did you rush out for a McDonald's no, yesterday here in Dublin I you didn't I've, I've never been a fan of McDonald's never the, the, the one time every year that I used to have McDonald's would be Eurovision week yeah. I would you know we would nearly always end up wherever we'd be at one stage at least in, in a McDonald's, McDonald's. And, and the fact that I wasn't there this year I, I think it, it, it's about two years since I was in a McDonald's but to see on the news last night the queues of people in traffic to get to McDonald's I thought you know it, it, it's it's just it, it's it's it's
it's unnecessary. And I mean, I mean people survived it on McDonald's for about six, seven weeks. You'll survive you know, for another it? few weeks. Yes. You know, okay. But, listen, you want you mind yourself, and good to know that you Trisha. you have fully recovered. Pleasure as always to talk to and you. Just to, and just to let people know that you people do recover from it and get over yeah. and get back to normal. So that that, that was that was the main thing as well. As yeah. positive, you know, you can. But thank you, and look after yourself. Take well. care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's uh, the wonderful Johnny O'Mahony, our Eurovision correspondent, who is now thankfully fully recovered from COVID nineteen. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Text WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. I can see some pet questions coming in. Keep them coming in, please. Uh, for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, uh, she join us in a couple of minutes. The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses, supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie Kinsale GAA are running or walking for 24 hours in aid of Pieta House You're invited to join them between 7am on a Friday and 7am on a Saturday Get your starting time by contacting Pat on 086 825 0406 a Mallow GAA club they're fundraising doing a similar event for three local charities this uh, month 65 players from the hurling and football teams of Mallow GAA will be running 19 kilometres within their 5k uh, radius and they are doing it in aid of Mallow Search and Rescue Simmonson de Paul and Autism Assistant uh, Dogs you can check it all out on their GoFundMe page Mallow GAA 19 If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
15 kilometres in aid of COVID-19. Cork Today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And as I just mentioned in my last chat with uh, Johnny O'Man, he was telling, telling us about her, his recovery from COVID-19. He was saying people need to be careful, don't lose the run of themselves because Gardaí had to attend McDonald's drive throughs across Dublin yesterday as demand for fast food led to traffic chaos. Could the same thing happen here when the McDonald's drive throughs open in Cork? Uh, Labour local area representative Peter Horgan uh, joins me uh, about this issue. Uh, good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon. Patricia, Peter, I'm very well. Like the rest of us, you were watching the news and following, on, no doubt, on social media, the, the chaos, the traffic chaos in Dublin. Are you fearful the same thing would happen down here? I am. Um, and the reason why I am is because the day McDonald's closed nationally, um, just before the, the, the full lockdown happened, is that um, McDonald's restaurants in Douglas and Turner's Cross, especially in Cork, were absolutely jammers as well. It's the same kind of scenes that we saw in Dublin yesterday. And the concern that I would have is that people would want to go to McDonald's and there's nothing wrong with that. And I know that many families might would see it as a, as a real treat and it's something different. And I know we're all at the end of our tether with a lot of the restrictions happening, but we're only in phase one. And I just have a concern that Gardaí being taken from their duties uh, at the moment to direct traffic for the opening of a, of a drive through restaurant isn't something that's, that's ideal at this moment in time. So what's the solution? Don't open them? No, I mean... McDonald's, and, and it goes for every kind of fast food takeaway, really. Uh, and fast food takeaways in Cork, especially, that I've seen, um, have innovated and adapted. And we saw with KC's in Douglas, they tried to open a click and collect. Demand was through the roof. The guards shut them down. But what they did is that they did the delivery service, and it seems to be working away nicely there in Douglas. This is only across the road from McDonald's. McDonald's in Cork and in Dublin and around the country have operated an Uber Eats delivery service. What I would have liked to have seen is McDonald's starting off with delivery, opening the restaurants again and starting off with their delivery service, that might have That's a good idea. dated the appetite for want of a better word yeah, yeah, for the, people who wanted their McFlurries yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But there is an element of personal responsibility in people as well if you decide that you want to go somewhere. And we saw it with the hardware stores, like a 90-minute wait for B&Q in Matham Point on Monday. Like, Right. How I, badly I, I are you in need for your garden seat? Just head home, come yeah. back again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, and what, what do we know of possible openings of McDonald's drive throughs in Cork? Have they, have they given dates they or anything? They no. haven't done okay. the, the, the specific ones in Cork, but Cork are, is to open next week. Dublin was yesterday. They did the six outlets in Dublin. I imagine they're still open today. I haven't seen anything uh, to suggest that they've been shut down today. Um, but Cork was meant to be next week. Where they were meant yeah. to be opening, I mean, there is a number of them. You think the Ballincollig, Turners Cross, Douglas, Mallow. I mean, they're all in, in especially the Turners Cross, Douglas and Mallow are in very constrained, tight areas. And I think that's my, my, what have been the issue that, that um, came a cropper for the Dublin ones, is that, as I understand it, they're in industrial estates and they're narrow industrial estate roads. If you, if you think of Little Island, mm-hmm. if you come into Little Island, it's very hard to pull a UE without yep. trying to get to the roundabout. And if you're stuck in that roundabout with everyone else and everyone else trying to get out, it's bedlam. And I think that might what have happened yesterday to a certain extent. People thought, let's go down it might not be busy. It went down, chaos ensued. Yeah, um, and I think, but I think you're right when you mentioned about the hardware store. If people head down to a place like that and you see a big queue, just drive on and come back at another time. Yeah, and remember, McDonald's buys 40,000 tonnes of beef a year from, from Irish farmers. Like, 
it's a it's a it's a big it's a big industry provider, and and farmers need that industry. Well, I know that Dawn Meats in County Waterford are opening up their plant uh, because they have they're bringing in fifty staff uh, because they process the beef burgers for McDonald's. So I mean, there is a spin-off that there's there's jobs as well. And what's more important is that the staff in McDonald's we have to make sure that they're looked after properly oh, as well, that they're in the, the safe environment. That and I don't think there has been a rush by, by management to come back. I mean, they've been closed for this amount of time, but I think coming back with a delivery service, like, let, let's, let's keep the interest at a certain level that can be manageable. But we, I, I would not like to see Gardy taken off the beat to direct traffic okay. next week. OK, I think a lot of people will agree with you. Peter, thank you for that. Thanks, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That's uh, Labour local, local Area Representative uh, Peter Horgan. Can I just take a quick uh, look at some of your calls uh, coming in? Somebody says, there's no fear of queues at McDonald's in Cork. We have Dinos. Nowhere better for chips. Thank you for that. Okay, some of your other issues coming in. When we were talking with the guard, the uh, Sergeant James O'Mahony, and we were talking about people need to be careful when they're out and about on the roads, particularly people who are going back to work for the first time and maybe haven't been driving that much since the lockdown. You just need to be careful if you're out in the mornings, any time during the day. The roads are gone much busier with pedestrians and people out on bicycles and you just need to be careful. Pat says, Patricia, I was listening to your piece on the guard the file with Sergeant uh, James uh, O'Mahony and yes, I agree and their roads are busier. There's a lot more people out walking and running for exercises and yes, drivers do need to be careful. But drivers are always careful about road users. Drivers are the ones who pay tax and insurance and they have a right to drive on our roads. People who walk or run for exercise are using the road using the road in the way they're doing it it's a joke it's putting their lives at risk there are plenty of parks and other areas where one could go for exercise they are a danger to everybody on the roads and they are the ones using the roads all the more at the moment and they pay nothing they contribute nothing towards those uh, roads when you were doing your piece uh, on Garda File it was all about the motorists there was nothing about the pedestrian there has to be personal responsibility when it comes to being out on the road, which which is a good point. And Eddie in Ovens um, is making kind of a similar point. He says, big tractors on silage are out on the roads. You need to be careful. Many are going too fast and many are going too fast on narrow roads. Plus walkers and runners stepping off footpaths in order to abide by social distancing without looking. They are all accidents waiting to happen. Please, guys, you need to be so careful when you're out and about on the roads. Patricia, hi, would you share this with your listeners? Please, a little piece of good news. The price of oil is at rock bottom. This is a worldwide thing, the price of oil, because of because of everything that's going on with COVID-19. One of the pluses is that oil on the world market is rock bottom. Anyway, this sister says you can now save up to €300 Euro on a 1,000 litre fill of home heating oil compared to what you would have paid in Christmas of 2019. So it's good news for a change. And that's signed an avid West Cork listener. Thank you for that. And thank you for sharing that. Anybody needs to get a fill of oil, now is your time to do it, please. Morning says another texter, just wondering why do some people think that they can drive wherever they want with the current, even though the current restrictions are in place? Because as we have 
said time and time again on this programme there's no vaccine for stupidity we can give all the advice that we want in the world and we can tell people why these are restrictions in place but you'll always have people who will just be a law unto themselves and someone else says Patricia when are we going to be able to drive wherever we want uh, to drive well on June the 8th which will be the start of phase 2 we will be able to move outside the five kilometres and we'll be able to go 20 kilometres but no further. That's on June 8th. And then it is, we have to wait then until July 20th for phase four to kick in. And when phase four kicks in on July 20th, you can drive anywhere that you want to. But it'll it'll go to 20 kilometres at the start of the next phase. That's if we get through phase one well, and we seem to be doing that uh, so far, so hopefully we will. Eileen says, when you're talking about people and this antibody test, to try to find out if people have had COVID-19 without having been tested for it and the people who suspect they may have had it are people, others with no symptoms at all, wouldn't even, wouldn't even suspect that they've had it. But it'll be interesting when we're able to do these antibody tests to find out. Eileen says, I also had all of those symptoms that people speak about when they discuss COVID-19. It happened to me just before Christmas. It was the worst I have ever experienced. I am convinced, said Eileen, that I had the virus. I would also like to get that blood test done. Stay safe, says uh, Eileen. Yeah, and we're just, we're going to have to wait until they decide that they, they Dr. Gillian de Gascoigne said yesterday they're expecting to roll it out from June. The logistical arrangements still have to be put in place, but I reckon there will be a lot of people will sign up to have that test done uh, for sure. Keep your pet questions coming, please, uh, to us because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us in a couple of minutes. And somebody sends me a lovely picture of their... mm, Is this back garden side of their house? And it's just like a wild meadow. You know, gorgeous, all the wildflowers, beautiful daisies, gorgeous buttercups. There's a pink flower there as, there as well. It's Pat and Mallow. Thank you, Pat. And Pat says, despite everything, summer has come. The bees and the insects in the, in the wildlife bed are competing with you for the airways this morning. That is gorgeous and well done on having a wildlife bed. And actually, yesterday was the UN's World Bee Day. And the advice that they're asking everybody is to, if you could do what Pat and Mallow has done and have a wildflower bed, how fantastic. But if you can't, those of us that have lawns, even little bits of lawns, the suggestion is that we have bad, you know the way we have bad hair days? The suggestion is that we have bad lawn days, particularly during uh, COVID-19. The idea is, is to all let our gardens get a little bit wild and that's to in order to encourage bees and other pollinators like butterflies to flourish. All of us that have a bit of a garden have a role to play. There was a campaign that I was unaware of until I heard about it yesterday and it was No Mow May where they were asking people not to mow their lawn in May and unfortunately I've already I've already done it but anyway they're asking people to try not, don't cut the grass as often as you used to do and if you can have a little patch some area in your garden that you can leave to go wild or to plant a pollinator friendly plants um, and to let some urban areas go as wild as you can we'll all be doing our bit and it's all so uh, important then the message is that we need to shift our mindset to see the value in weeds and to see the value in wild uh, flowers because did were you aware that 40 species of bees and insects rely on nettles of all things and most of us if we saw a nettle in our garden we'd be having a fish get it out there quick leave it for the 40 species of bees and insects that need it and we need to move away from the tidy 
wonderful tidy gardens and if we all do our bit we will be protecting our biodiversity so we and if we could all do what Pat and Mallow has done and have just a section of the garden where you can plant a wild flower uh, bed and it looks gorgeous I have to say it's wild but it looks absolutely gorgeous and it's a fine burst of colour 1850 your pet questions please for Jane uh, Pickett our resident vet or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Fon Sawalcha, Lassie 103. Covid Nidig on Shut and Aaron Agus Kamwitz Fanach Sawalia Kunwitz Fane Agus Akela Akusens. Anish Ta Plan the Kuwi came in at Elm the Hyantira Oskol Darish. The Dion Tuxala Deg Dimi Beltana, Bay Zera Le Kupa Shrianta Avia and Hanafane. Mata Tuidolaman Akliok the Tavamwe, Anish Ta Kadaga Fanavoskik Kuwi Kilometer Dimbalia in Nigo Kilometer. Mata Shivak Fanak Somalia and Tamar Fad no Kakuning, Bay Kadaga Dulamak last shit in Kuwi Kilometer, Aktor Aragon Arilka Free Social Distancing. Bigi Olivner. and by the way, thank you. I didn't get to acknowledge all of them, but thank you to the people who texted and called wanting to wish uh, Jenny, who joined us, about her dog being stolen, her little boy's dog being stolen. Um, hoping that lots of people just saying that they're thinking of Jenny and little Ashton and that they really hope that Ginger is found and returned home uh, safely. And I just want to acknowledge because people took time uh, to text and to call us. Let's stay on the animal theme, though, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you Jane Hi there and uh, you, you're you very welcome let me get straight into uh, questions for you where's this one gone uh, hi hi Patricia and Jane my Shih Tzu slash Jack Russell is suffering from severe anxiety after we had to put her in a kennel for two nights we had a family funeral so we'd no other alternative but to pop her into a kennel she'd been fine up to them now our vet has put her on Phenoleptal, uh, which she has improved, but she's slowed down and isn't her previous bouncy self. She's eight and a half and she's been on this product now for three months. Is that okay? Thanking you. That's from Susan. Well, I think it's a quite a stressful thing having kind of a change in behaviour and it must be really concerning for all of the family. Um, I think you're doing all of the right things. You've visited the vet and you've got some attention. I think if you're worried about your your little dog, Susie, being a little bit more sedate on the medication, um, have a chat with your vet. I think it, me commenting on, on that aspect of the case would be a bit difficult when I haven't seen Susie myself. So I think your own vet is best to speak to about the medication at the minute. But I think just some general pointers about anxiety. Um, I know one of my own dogs suffers quite heavily with anxiety when there's any kind of change in routine. So my heart goes out to you. It can be a real stress. Um, and particularly if, if you've been in a situation where for unfortunate family reasons they've had to go into a kennel quite suddenly if it's not something they're used to. 
I think really the best thing you can do is really establish a very solid routine in the house. If you had a really solid routine before, just try and go back to that. I think everything's really difficult at the moment with COVID. Everything is up in the air. So I understand that's a bit more difficult than usual. But just try and have a set pattern to the day because dogs and cats are creatures of habit. They like structure. They like routine. To be totally honest, it makes them feel safe. So just try and keep a set pattern. If the anxiety is really, really serious for you and you feel she's very, very unsettled, even write yourself a little timetable for the day as to what you feel you can achieve as regards not putting yourself under any pressure to fill the day with activity for her. She needs lots of rest and downtime, but just have a set structure. Like we get up in the morning, she gets her food, she goes out for her walk, she comes in, has some rest time, then maybe has a little puddle about at lunchtime. Just try and make a set routine because the more she knows what's going to happen, and she gets back into her routine, the less she'll be worried about some big upheaval happening, like going back into the kennels again. I think bear with it. You're really taking all the steps you need to have a chat with your vet about, let's say her being a little bit um, sleepier than usual or not her usual pizzazz for life. Um, and they'll be able to help you out with that and discuss that further with um, you. But would, I think you're doing would all the right things. Me- would that medication make her sleepy? I'm assuming some kind of anti-anxiety meds. Yeah, it can do in in some cases. Yeah, we're all a little bit different, very much like you and me. If you know, if we both had the same medication, I might react slightly differently to you. So we're all a little bit different, but certainly we do experience sometimes a little bit of sleepiness and sedation with that particular medication. Um, but as I say, we're all a little bit different. Yeah. Okay. So have a chat with your vet. Okay, Liz wants to know: Would a fox kill a pomeranian dog and a cat? <laughs> um. I suppose anything's theoretically possible, but to be totally honest with you, um, foxes are pretty opportunistic. So a healthy cat and a healthy Pomeranian are are unlikely to be targets. Let's put it like that for the fox's next meal. Generally, they'll go for easy prey, to be totally honest with you. Um, So I think it's unlikely, but not impossible. Okay, what could uh, Jane, what would Jane suggest is good protein to give to a dog? Mm. I think really with protein content, the main thing is to think about what is there a particular reason you're concerned about the protein content? Um, if there is something specific and there is a clinical problem where you need, a let's say, a higher or a different type of protein level, for example, I can think off the top of my head, I know some of our patients with kidney disease or renal problems, they we certainly prescribe them certain types of protein diets um, in some cases. But just if there is a specific clinical reason that you've been told to put your dog on a high protein diet or a different protein diet, have a chat with your vet specifically about that, because if there is a clinical problem, it really affects what kind of protein we give. But I suppose if your dog's otherwise healthy and you just feel that you you would like them to have a higher protein diet very much like a lot of us let's say or you know people engaging in sport bodybuilders we think we need lots of protein I think really it might be best to consider how much activity your dog does they may not actually need an excessively high protein diet and we know certainly in some cases really excessive protein can cause problems with the kidneys so I think really my best advice is unless your dog has a, a previously diagnosed clinical problem that they're under care of a vet for that needs higher protein um really your best bet is to pick a high quality complete dog food and not not to worry too much about a high protein level because everything else is important the fats the carbs the nutrition the minerals the vitamins they're all important components of the diet too so i think really in in the end of the day 
you do actually get what you pay for with the dog food. There's a variety of brands on the market. I think the main thing you want is you want something that is high quality and a complete dog food for the life stage of that dog. So there's a big difference between puppy food and adult food and senior food. Um, and again, your vet or vet nurse will be able to guide you. But it's really important to think about where that dog food is coming from. So only, let's say a lot of vets, we will only sell food that has been what's called AFCO tested um, because it's essentially a measure of uh, there's so much quality control goes into them so what's in the bag is actually what's on the back of the packet which is not always the case with dog food mm. um, and also we know that that particular dog food will have been tested to be safe and produce like adequate bone structure and adequate muscle structure in a dog of that life stage so i think there's really good and bad out there on the diet front and it can be incredibly confusing so i think um, as vets and as vet nurses we really really don't mind being you know questioned or contacted for some advice regarding diet because we think it, it's the kind of the the cornerstone of a healthy a healthy lifestyle so have a chat to your local vet okay home remedies if your dog gets stung by a bee what should you do mm. i think to be totally honest the best thing to do is call your vet um home remedies in dogs and cats can cause an awful lot more problems than they can solve to be totally honest um there are some medications very similar to what we would take for allergies that can be used in dogs and cats but it really depends on whether it's suitable for that specific dog or cat and the only one that'll be able to tell you that is your own vet who knows their history um i think just as a gentle word of warning i'd be really really reluctant to go in with home remedies despite the difficulties that covid brings um without speaking to your vet first because there's actually a lot of things in the medications that we take whether they be sugar additives or different types of medication that are actually toxic poisonous and can cause death in dogs and cats so i think one thing we really really worry about particularly given that people are less inclined to go out and about because of covid very understandably um is the home treatment and to be honest we can we can have and can see an awful lot of very serious poison cases as a result of that and so can I think it, before you're tempted sting, to go down that route is the bee sting dangerous for a dog can it be um, I think it depends on where it is really to be totally honest and it depends on their reaction very much very much like medication we can all react a little bit differently so um i know when i get bee stings i i'm kind of okay i just get a big swollen blotch but i know one of my friends has a has a major you know, anaphylactic reaction yeah, so yeah. yeah so we're very very different so i think the best thing to do is if you do notice a bee sting just contact your vet for a word of advice they'll discuss with you the the symptoms just to watch out for that suggest that it might be a bit more serious like excessive swelling so sometimes we see lots of swelling in the tissue um, where, around where the sting has happened or any difficulty breathing will be a cause to very urgently yeah. contact your vet. But of course it's possible that they got a bee sting you didn't even know about it as well. That exactly. Was, yeah, it would yeah. be just fine. Uh, hi Patricia and Jane. I have a Jack Russell cross. He's approximately 10 years of age. How much water should he be drinking for de- for, per day? He's on a good balanced dog food diet. But I'm just wondering about the water. Mm. Is there a set amount of water a dog should be drinking? Not really. It kind of depends on the diet. Um, so if, let's say, dogs and cats on a wet food diet will be seen to drink a lot less than um, a, a dog or cat that's on a dry food diet purely because they're getting a little bit of their hydration from their, let's say, wet food sachets if they do get them. Now, I'd always recommend in most cases a dry food diet is best for the teeth, so it's probably best to stick with something like that. Um, there are some fancy calculations we can do to you know, expect how much water a dog or cat should be drinking. And normally they should be drinking about two mils of water for every kg 
kg that they weigh every hour or so but that doesn't really translate to real life because a huge amount of things really impact upon that like the ambient temperature like the weather they're always going to drink more when it's hotter and less when it's cooler because they'll be sweating less there's less kind of water output um but diet is a major factor so i think if there's a reason that you're you're worried about the the drinking pattern or i think the most important thing to say is usually dogs and cats are very very good at finding hydration when they need it and keeping their levels very good themselves um but if you feel that they're drinking more than usual or even less than usual the change is what's important so if you feel that there's a change in their drinking habits that's a red flag to contact your vet because sometimes drinking more particularly is a big concern because it can trigger it can be kind of a trigger for us to investigate more serious problems like kidney problems or diabetes and drinking less sometimes if they have other issues going on is also a marker that they may not be feeling so well and and don't feel like keep getting that hydration in so contact your vet if you're concerned about a change okay we'll leave it there listen have a good week and we'll chat again uh, next uh, Thursday thanks for that Jane Right. Thank uh, you. Good, uh, good afternoon to you. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And that's where we wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls today. We are back with you again tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. On to the night, Patricia Messenger. Look after yourself and stay safe. Court today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Simon's Celebrity Sees. Guess the celebs to grab the cash on C103. Hello, who's that? Um, Mary T. Carson. See. 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 Ben Affleck, Oprah Winfrey, and Tony O'Donoghue. Tony O'Donoghue, the sports presenter. The sports presenter, yeah. Mm, Mary. Yes. Yeah. You just won! <laughs> Listen, well done and delighted for you. Yeah, that's great. You've made my day. Simon's Celebrity Sees. Play weekday mornings on Cork's More Music Breakfast. On C103. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.